How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to see you. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to uh, Psalm 68 this morning. We're going to dive on into it. And I'm going to start a sermon series uh, called The Pursuit. And this morning in particular, I want to talk about cultivating an atmosphere of hunger. How many of you come here hungry this morning? You know, we talk about, uh, we talk about prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year. And a lot of times... Um, People, people feel different ways about prayer and fasting. And some people are like, you know, I just don't know if that's required of me. And then some people feel like, man, I just feel defeated and condemned already because I don't know if I can handle it. Can I tell you this? Uh, my, my spiritual life, to be honest with you, was born in prayer and fasting. The Holy Spirit draw, drew me into a place where I discovered that if I pray in secret, the Lord who sees in secret will reward me openly. If I fast in secret, the Lord who sees me fast in secret will re reward me openly. And I was so desperate and so hungry for God to do something in my life. I thought, boys, you know, if, if a man's willing to not eat, surely something's going to break loose. You know, something's got to happen if you're willing to get hungry enough to not eat and there's something that changes when you get hungry enough for God that you start doing other radical things in the natural realm but I understand that listen as we move into this this time in this period usually we do 21 days and to be honest with you we shaved it down to seven days because what we want to see happen as a church is not just for people to groan for 21 days but to understand that fasting is something that you need to start to work into your life. Prayer is something that you need to develop in your life throughout the year. So corporately, if we can come together for seven days and you can decide with God, this is not a time to point the finger at what somebody else is doing or not doing. This is a time for you to come to Jesus and receive his love and use the tools that he's given you to draw nearer to him. Amen? So, so it's not so much about talking about how hungry you are or whatever that is. God may give you different options. Some people will decide, you know what, I'm working a lot. I just can't not eat so I'm going to eat in the mornings and then I'm going to fast the rest of the day or or I'm going to fast sun up to sundown now some some nuts are going to say you know what I'm going to go water only for seven days and and they're going to press into God and God's going to give them that ability and some people are going to say well I can't do hardly anything but I'll fast on Wednesday when we pray whatever you bring to God he will receive and it will not change his love for you amen it's not about that. You're not earning anything from God. What you are doing is utilizing the tools that he has given you to draw near to him in the spirit. And, you know, the scripture says, right, that in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible, impossible to please God for those who want to draw near to him must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God wants to reward those who are willing to sacrifice in order to diligently seek him and what we're trying to do is cultivate spiritual hunger and I know you know so hey, I, don't, I don't know about spiritual hunger but I know if I don't eat food I'm gonna be hungry I know that's a reality and it is a reality I can tell you this there's nothing more difficult and challenging than fasting but it pays the greatest dividend spiritually that you'll ever experience I believe if you're willing to pray and seek God with it amen Donald said something last week that really stuck with my heart he, he made this statement he said you only qualify for what you pursue you only qualify for what you pursue. And there are things in the kingdom of God that if you don't seek them, you won't find them. If you don't knock on the door, that door's not going to be open to you. If you don't ask, you're not going to receive. There are some things in the kingdom of God that you will only qualify for if you pursue. And that's what I want to talk about is the pursuit. Because let me tell you something. Jesus Christ has already done everything that you will ever need. 
He's already paid for it. It's already been done. Your sins have been paid for on the cross. You are a child of God. The inheritance is already there. It's already available. You're not earning anything from God, but prayer and fasting and seeking God is a means by which we step into what Christ has already paid for us to take ownership of. Our flesh gets in the way. Demonic powers get in the way. There is spiritual darkness. But let me tell you something. Spiritual darkness is weak to somebody who knows who they are in Christ. Amen. So prayer and fasting, what it does is it just puts me into a position where I finally fully realize who God has made me to be and I access the power behind what Christ has done. But we all know that we're only going to pursue what we actually think is worth pursuing. Y'all ain't going to pursue a woman, you know what I'm saying? If you're a single man in here, you ain't going to pursue a woman you ain't interested in. Amen. Anybody amen me on that? Like, if you're not interested in it, you're not going to pursue it. You have to feel like it is worth going after. Now, I want to start in Psalm 63 because pursuit begins in the heart and pursuit begins with a desire. And I want to talk about a man named David that was a man that was after God's own heart. And here's what he says in Psalm 63, verse 1 through 11. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth they shall be given over to the power of the sword they shall be a portion for jackals but the king shall rejoice in God and all who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped let's pray together really quickly father we thank you for your word And God, I'm just praying that you would stir a desire in us because, Lord, there's so many things that that, that are vying for our attention and drawing us away from you, Lord, but you are the source of all life, of all joy, of all love and all power. And so I just pray that by your word, Holy Spirit, you would activate something in our hearts, God, that's never been activated before, and you would stir a hunger up in us for you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, when I, when I first got saved, I got saved probably a little bit differently than most people. Like, I grew up a little bit in church and dabbled around here and there. But when I was 20 years old in, in college, I began to cry out to God. But it wasn't enough just for me to know that, hey, well, I said the sinner's prayer and I'm saved. I wanted to know that I know that I know. I wanted to have an encounter with the living God. I didn't want to say a prayer that didn't mean anything. I wanted to experience a God that was real. I had had demonic encounters. I had seen darkness. I had been addicted to to drugs and alcohol and uh, sexuality that that was wayward and all kinds of different things. And I wanted something that was so real. And I got so desperate and so hungry that on Christmas Day in 2007, you know what I said? I said, Lord, I don't even know if this is going to work. I don't even know if you're real, to be honest with you. I'm confused as I'll get out. I've got multiple addictions. But your word says if I pray and fast in secret you will reward me openly I'm not going to eat anything today And God I'm asking you to get me out of what I'm in And that's what I said 
And that day, let me tell you something, I, I didn't eat the whole day. At the end of the day, uh, I found at midnight. I was waiting until the clock hit, you know what I'm saying? And, and at, mid, at midnight, I scarfed some stuff down to try to get my body back in order. And, and, and at that particular time, can I tell you that nothing really happened externally. I would argue, actually, that things actually began to get worse. Crazier people came around. My addiction seemed to intensify. But on the inside, in my spirit, something began to change and something began to move and a hunger for God was birthed. And, I, and all of a sudden I realized, you know what? I don't want these other things, but what I noticed was those other things I was enslaved to. No matter how hard I tried to shake them, I couldn't shake them. But God started to stir a hunger in me, and that hunger was saying, you know what, Clay, there's something in God that's greater than the things that you're experiencing. So I continued to pray. I continued to fast. I'd go on a three-day fast. And this journey took place for about a year until finally I had an encounter with the living God where the Holy Spirit came and set me free from that stuff, filled me up, gave me a joy that I could never experience in any drug, any sex, anything else that this world could offer. And and it so filled me up that I about lost my mind, y'all. I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious. It wasn't like other people. It wasn't like everybody. I know everybody's got different stories, but I about lost my mind. I had an Xbox 360 at that time. You know what I'm saying? It was back in about 2008. I had an Xbox 360. Garbage. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, it was getting wild in the house. I had a little TV in my room. You know what? Garbage. It's done. I had like some Led Zeppelin albums, you know what I'm talking about? Garbage. I was done with anything that was going to crowd out the work of God in my life. I was tired of it. I had a laptop that had all kinds of porn on it, snapped it. You know what I'm saying? Like I went off in the spirit because I said, I'm done with idols, God. I'm done with it. I've tasted something that's better than anything that this world has ever given me. And I lost my mind. Now, can I tell you something? I have been trying so hard. I'm, thir I'm, I'm 36 years old. I'm going to be 37 this year. That happened when I was 21 years old. And I, my, my greatest desire in life has actually been to be able to get back to that passion that I started with. I want to get back to it. And, and even as a pastor, you say, well, Clay, yeah, I'm sure you're just on fire all the time. You probably wake up at 2 in the morning and you're in tongues and, and, and you know, prophesying over the demonic realms and stuff like that. And can I tell you that there are moments as a pastor when I'm lukewarm and I'm thinking, God, would you please take me back to where I was when I had that passion, when I wouldn't let stuff crowd out my life, when I wouldn't just sit and watch TV for hours and grow cold spiritually. And, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm praying, Lord God, get me back to this place. I could stand up here as a pastor and point it at you and say, you guys are the ones. But let me tell you, first and foremost, it's got to begin with me. Pray, God, stir something in my heart. Stir something in my heart. Get me back to that same passion that I began with. I dropped everything because I had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I was hungry for what he could do. And, you know, I would go to church, man. And during that time, like, everybody else was going to church and, I start, that was when I first started going to church after I had that, 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 that encounter with God. And as I'm, as I'm, as I'm going to church, here's, here's what was interesting is like, I would go to church and I was so hungry and so desperate. I would go to the altar sometimes and, and the power of God would just fall on me and church would end and people would leave and I'd still be up at the altar just weeping because God was falling on me. Do you understand something? God will bypass... God will bypass 99 lukewarm people to fall on one that's thirsty. He will. He'll bypass 99 families that could care less and are caught up in the busyness of life 
to fall on one family that's desperate for his presence. He really will. Because there's one major thing that is important in the kingdom of God. and You know, I, I, I studied revivals in my life, and I, I've looked at where God has moved throughout history. I don't know if you've ever studied this, like how God has moved throughout histories and different revivals. And I study that stuff because it stirs me up, and I, I read about other people who have sacrificed way more than I have and seen God move in miraculous ways. I have read dozens of accounts of pastors and preachers who have preached and saw nothing happen, and preached and saw nothing happen, and pre but they got so hungry and so desperate that they cried out to God and they prayed and they fasted and they sought the Lord and all of a sudden they preached the same exact way that they'd always been preaching but this time God showed up something changed and see there's a major difference in that reality and and when you study this but you study throughout history God has used all different groups of people like God has used reformed people he's used Calvinists and they say well you know God used us because we have a high view of the sovereignty of God and we've got right doctrine but then on the other hand, you've got Arminians who believe the opposite in, 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 in their doctrine of soteriology, right, so to speak, of salvation. But you know what? God's used them just as powerfully. And they say, well, it's because we believe in free will and we pursue God. That's why God used us. And then Pentecostals say, well, you know why God used us in history? It's because we emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit. But do you know that one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit came on a bunch of hungry Catholic men? If you study history, God used all kinds of different people. And then some of these high-view church people, when God moved, he said, well, it's because we've got liturgy and we, we view the church as sacred and we have a high view of church. That's why God used us. But then all of a sudden, a bunch of a Jesus movement, a bunch of hippies showed up that had no reverence and didn't wear shoes in the church house and barely put on clothes to come to the church. And God used them. And there's one thing among all these denominations and people, one key indicator of why God moved. You know what it was? It was hunger. What about what denomination you was a part of? What is it about your doctrinal distinctives? The key to real revival and transformation is one thing throughout history, and it is hunger. God moves where God is pursued. God moves where God is pursued. And that is something that we must understand. We can get caught up in such, so much of our pride and what we think ought to go this way, what we think ought to go that way. Can I tell you that we're human beings? We are so wrong all of the time. We want all of these things. We want to emphasize the Spirit. We want right doctrine. We even mix in a little liturgy on occasion. Like We want to pull the beauty of what the church can be from every direction. But man, the only way that God... I don't care how much you emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit. You can just get weird if you're not actually hungry for the things of God and willing to sanctify yourself. Willing to set yourself apart to the things of God. But you know what happens? What happens is Jesus said that there's something in the heart that happens. We don't really have this desire. Why? He said, you know, there's some seed that is sown among thorns. And when I think about this, I think about my own heart. If there's any reality, if you've read the parable of the sower, you know that, that some was sown on the wayside and some was sown on stony ground and some was sown specifically on, around weeds and thorns. And it says that the cares of this life, the busyness of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things came in and choked out what God was wanting to do in their life. And for most of us, that's where we're at in our heart. We desire God in the Spirit, but this world comes in and chokes out 
what God wants to do in our life. And we have a very difficult time of pushing back the weeds and pushing these things back. And we, we make compromises with the world. And we say, well, well, that's a, you know, we just, we're going through a season where we need this busyness and we need these things in our life. And we're going through a season where I just need to relax and I need more entertainment and I need this. And we're, and we're just going through a season. But my point is, is when is that season ever going to win and end? And we pull up those weeds and say, no, God, we've got to make space for you. We sing that song so often, I will make room for you. And my question is, but are we really? Are we really making room and saying, God, we want you to move more than anything else in our lives? God moves where God is pursued. In the Hebrides revival, if you study it, off Scotland, like there's these little islands that you could not find on a map right now if I told you about it. And here's the thing, you know, like if, 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 if somebody says, hey, God is moving in Kentucky, and they say, guess where it's at? Well, you'd probably say, well, it's got to be Lexington. Got to be Louisville. That's the only place God would move. I mean, it's big. He would have the greatest impact there. There's a lot of people. There's barely any people in southeastern Kentucky. Why would God move there? Well, see, they would have said the same thing about the Hebrides. The Hebrides was the, essentially the Clay County of, of, of Scotland at that time, if you know what I'm saying. But you know what happened? A couple of old women... And a few little deacons in the church said, man, we ain't got no kids in the church. Nobody's getting saved. God isn't moving. And they started praying two nights a week from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. And they kept doing it and they kept doing it until finally it started stirring some other people around them and some other people around them got caught on some fire and they're like, you know what, we need to keep praying until finally one deacon stands up and says, God, your word says that you'll pour out water on the thirsty. Here we are thirsty. You need to move. And when he cried out in that place, they said the building shook. And God poured out His Spirit. And when they went outside from this prayer meeting, hundreds had gathered because they had sensed something going on. And many gave their life to Christ that night. And revival broke out in all of that area so that they could, the churches went from being empty to being filled overnight. God did a sovereign move, but get this, we think God's sovereign move means that we can sit and watch TV and eat tater chips. No, God's sovereign move requires our participation. It requires our hunger. You never see God sovereignly moving, just doing it where somebody hasn't laid the groundwork and dug up the fallow ground and through prayer. Where somebody hasn't been so hungry where they say, God, we need you to move. But here's the issue. Here's the problem. What if you really don't want it? Like, ask that question. What if I, Clay, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really want that. I come to church on Sunday, my man, to hear a sermon, to get a little bit of blessed, and then I won't go back to my regular life, my regularly scheduled programming. And I'm actually completely content with the status quo, my bro. I mean, can anybody amen me this morning? We sing so many passionate songs about Jesus. But I think if we examine our hearts, we sing one thing, but our flesh goes home and tells us another. You talk about prayer and fasting, I just don't think it requires that. You know, not only that, Clay, you don't understand. I, I got some doubts about God in the first place. I prayed for him to move in this situation before, and he didn't move. You know, I've tried seeking God. He never revealed anything to me. And, 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 and I'm just I'm kind of burnt out on this whole religion thing anyway, and it just feels like you're putting more legalistic bondage on me. I'm just trying to enjoy life, and I want Jesus to give me a few pro tips every now and then to, like, make me a better parent and, and, you know, and then make me feel good about myself. But I really, I don't know about, I don't know about going in and praying, like pursuing God. It seems like a little bit of a stretch, right? 
So the question is, how do we actually come to desire God? Because if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I battle between flesh and spirit myself. And there are moments, this is going to make you feel a lot better about yourself. There are moments when in my heart, I just, I'm just rather be lazy. And I say, God, I ain't interested in seeking right now. Now, obviously, that don't come out of my mouth, but it's in my heart. Anybody amen me? I'm just tired, God. I'm tired. My kid's screaming at night. We got to go to work tomorrow. I got people sending me 3,000 text messages. This phone is driving me crazy. I just want to sit and check out and watch some TV. Anybody amen me? Y'all can relate. (laughs) Y'all can relate. So that's the flesh side of us that has to be warred against. I feel it. You feel it. We all feel it. And we all experience it. And God is saying, I need you to, it's okay, it's okay. I just need you to become aware of that. It's like Jesus told them in the Garden of Gethsemane. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he's a dude you're going to have to fight against. And this is why prayer and fasting is such an important and integral part of our spiritual walk. And every time I pray and fast, I'm reminded of it. Because when I pray and fast, at the end of that time, as bad as it stinks and as much as I hate it, and as much as I dream about food and steaks and I plan out my next 11 meals, As much as that happens, at the end of it, I start to get a spiritual fire burning. And I say, oh yeah, I forgot you were this good, God. I forgot that I could tap into the things of the Spirit and you would speak to me. I forgot that I would get supercharged and not care so much about fleshly things and start to care about the things of the kingdom. And all of a sudden there'd be a whisper in my heart that you're going to save people and you're going to move in our community and you're going to transform Clay County and something is actually going to happen. You start to sense that in your spirit because you draw near to God. See, David says this about it, Psalm 63, 1. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever had your physical flesh fainting for God? Like, God, I, I've not felt your presence in so long. I just want to go to the house of God. I want you to show up this morning. I don't care what Clay's got to preach. I mean, I'll hear the word. Thank God for your word. But would you show up and speak to my heart? Could I sense your presence in my life? My flesh is fainting for you. And when David writes this psalm, I don't know if y'all ever think about this, but you could imagine, like, I imagine David pinning this stuff down because he's writing worship songs. And we would probably think, well, he, you know, David, he's got it made, dude. He just rolled over out of his bed in the palace put his hand on his head and said, Servants, come here. Pen and pad, please. Give me a fresh espresso, nice coffee this morning, and French roast. And he's sitting there sipping his coffee, writing the next banger out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, think about, we think about worship you know, worship leaders in today's world. They're getting together. They've got coffee. They're taking time to, to, to get things together. But what's so interesting is if you read in your Bible, if you, if you look at your Bible, I want you to look at the top of that psalm, what it says. In your Bible, at the top of that psalm, the introduction says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is not him in his palace relaxing and taking it easy. Because some people will say, Clay, I can't seek God. You can seek God. You're just a pastor. That's what you've got to do for a living. I can tell you, pastoring can choke out God just as much as anything else. Church ministry and cleaning toilets and answering a hundred phones. Like, anything you do can choke out pursuit of God. 
So, so, so don't judge it against somebody else. God's called you in your position, in your job, with your family life, whatever your context is, is never an excuse to say, God, I'm not going to pursue you. I've got things going on that other people don't. Amen. That's a good word this morning. And so it says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Because you might, his son Absalom has rebelled against him. He's seeking to overpower him to steal his legacy. And now he's driven his own dad, David, out like a hunted man. And David is in the wilderness of Judah after he's been king for years. And his son is trying to overthrow his kingdom. Imagine that situation. And now he's, in the, he's just on the outs. And he sits down somewhere in the wilderness of Judah. And he begins to sing this song to God from the place of his heart. Because somebody would say, you know, I'd be more passionate for God if my life was better. I'd be more passionate for God if I had more time. I'd be more passionate. I can promise you this, y'all. I've had time, and then I've had times when I didn't have any time. And both the situations were pretty much the same. Because <laughs> it's not about what you have in your life. It's about the hunger of your heart. You say, well, if I wasn't working, just had time to lay around the palace like that, David, I'd be on fire for God. But the truth is, probably, you'd be even less passionate for God than you currently are. If everything was going right. You know why? Because number one, I want you to understand this, the gap is often the gift. What I have found is that when I'm not pursuing God accurately and, and, and passionately, He loves me so much that He'll kind of turn a cold shoulder to me. Y'all, you know, I don't know if y'all know anything about this. Some of y'all maybe date, maybe you remember that. Like, I'm not, <coughs> I'm not the best dude that ever was, to be honest with you. And uh, I'm pretty lackadaisical and... and, and um, you know, when I was a young man, I'd spend, I, I, I better not get into it too much. Let me say this. When I started dating Andrea, I was very passionate about God. But, you know, I probably did not put the effort that I should put into and the care that I should put into pursuing a woman that I wanted to marry. And at some point or another, you know what she did? She just turned a cold shoulder on me. And I was like, well, what's she doing? She ain't even talking to me now. Was and what happened is it awakened my heart to recognize, hey, I think I probably want her in my life. What am I doing? I, I, and she was like, well, listen, if you ain't going to pursue me, then we ain't going to do this thing. I was like, well, my bad. <laughs> my bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll pursue you. I'm sorry. And I, and I got to thinking about that because if God really loves me, right, if God really loves me, he's not going to give me everything that I want without me seeking him. Because he would make me a spiritual brat. That it just thinks that he's entitled to everything. And just thinks that we deserve everything. But see, there's something that happens in the pursuit of God that transforms our heart and creates a passion and a desire where now God says, okay, I can break in among that. God moves where God is pursued. God moves where God is pursued. Strong relationships. All, all you husbands in here and wives, you, you, I'm telling you right now, husbands, what wives want is they want you to pursue them. They want, they want you to pursue them. God is the same. He's a desperate lover and he wants to be pursued. The gap is the gift. I think about my brother Chris Smith. He's in here this morning and I just met him a few weeks ago and he's been coming to church here for a while. And you know, I think about his story because he came up here one morning and I'm looking at him in the eyes and what I saw in his eyes was fire. 
I saw passion in his eyes, and he, he began to weep, and he was, he was crying so strongly. And he's like, man, I just, I've, I, I just sense God, and I've got, God's doing something, and I've got to move with God. And, but what had happened was there was a gap in his life. You know what it was? The man had a tumor that was causing him to lose his vision. There's a gap. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to experience this. You know what he did? Every night he was coming out here and parking his truck and praying to God. Every morning he was coming out here and parking his truck and praying to God. And you know what happened? All of a sudden he's out praying one day and his vision starts to return. He goes back to the doctor. The tumor is gone. But he got so hungry because there was a gap in his life and he said, I don't want to experience this, God. And it created a hunger in him to say, God, I know you can do something. I know you can move. In my life. But see, the majority of the passages, passages of passion in the Bible are framed through hardship. Now, Hebrews 5, 7, talking about Jesus, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus got so hungry and so passionate that even when he prayed, there would be fervent cries and tears. Think about your prayer life, where God's coming, because your number one prayer is often, God, fix my situation, but probably our number one prayer should be, God, wake up my heart. Wake up my heart. Let me see what you want to see. Number two, the gap is the gift, but number two, you've got to understand, examine, and seek fulfillment of your longings. Cultivating hunger for God and an aching passion for his presence is a gift from God. The ability, right now my prayer during prayer and fasting is God stir us up to seek you. My prayer right now is God make us people who pray. God make us people who seek you and won't stop. Let this not be something that just we seek you for a minute and then we just let life take over again. And then we grow lukewarm and complacent. Now, God, let us get a vision of what you could actually do in our lives and in our community. And let us seek it and pursue it until you show up and you move. Understand your longings because sometimes I think that we think to be a Christian is just to believe a certain thing. Well, to be a Christian is to attend church on Sunday, to believe that Jesus Christ came and got in the flesh and was buried, on, buried and crucified, buried and died, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Praise God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. Amen. We all say that. No. So more than just having knowledge about God is a passionate pursuit of a loving relationship with a person. I mean, it's loving something, somebody. You know, and here's the thing. You all know about passion. You all know about passion. I was actually driving home from Owensboro uh, yesterday and, and had, a, had a family reunion. But you know what we did? Some was watching the UK game on the way home. You talk about passion. You know what I'm saying? I bet some of y'all watched that game, son. I bet some of y'all watched that game and was like, come on, read! You know what I'm talking about? And then you come in church on Sunday and you're like, golly. Y'all ain't with me on this, are you? Y'all know it's true. Y'all know it's true. See, you're pa you have longings. You have passions. You have ambitions. They're just misplaced. They're put, you have the heart, but they're misplaced. And look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be passionate about Reed Shepherd and UK basketball. I, I get, get, put, pour some into it. Praise God, it's an enjoyable thing. It's a gift from God to be able to enjoy things like that. And I'm not here to legalize it and push it out. But I'm saying when that crowds out your passion for God, and you've got no fire for God in the midst of that passion and all of these worldly things, you have got to check your heart because you're being deceived. You're being deceived to swallow things of this world that somehow you think are greater than the presence and the power of God in your life and they cannot touch it. 
They cannot touch it. It's about a loving relationship with God. Psalm 63, 2-4 says, So I have looked upon you, and I love this, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Can I tell you that if we become a church that seeks God, there'll be times when you walk in this sanctuary, and it will not be just three songs and a sermon, and you go home and you feel lightly encouraged. It will be God was there this morning. We saw His power. We saw His glory in the sanctuary. And then you start to crave it. You start. I remember when I first started going to church, man, I wasn't going there because I liked the preacher. I wasn't going there, even though I did like the preacher, but I wasn't going there because I liked the preacher. I didn't care who preached. I wasn't going there because the music was amazing. I wasn't going there because my friends were there and I could hang out with my friends. I was going there because I knew the living God would be there and I had no idea what He might do today. Man, imagine that kind of hunger where you stir up and you start coming to church and you start thinking, man, what might God do today? What might He speak through someone? What might He speak through me? Maybe He will heal a sick person. Perhaps today's the day that people actually get convicted and they say, I can't take it no more. i got to give my life to Jesus. There's got to be something where there's an expectation that is stirred up where we start to believe in God's power and glory and presence once again. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. He's in the wilderness. He's lost all that matters to him. He's laying on a rock somewhere in a cave most likely. And he says, in the night watches, I'm drawn up in love because your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I want you to think about that. See, because David's had a lot of things in his life. David, according to the Bible, David's had a lot of sex. I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Y'all young people, I mean, it's in there. You're going to read the Bible, you're going to find out. David's had wives. David's got tons of servants. David, basically nothing was withheld from him. All he'd have to say is, you come here, bring me that. It's done. David had power. He had armies at his command. At a moment's notice, he could say, boys, we're going to war with them. Let's go. And thousands would follow him. He had fame and popularity. To Look, David at one point, before Twitter and social media and internet, he went viral, y'all. He went viral, and people were literally saying, chanting in the streets, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands, and him just a young boy. You imagine that popularity, that fame, that power, anything. At a moment's notice, he had it all, and he said, you know what, Lord? I've lost all of that. All of those things are gone in this moment, and I'm sleeping in a cave. But one thing that I know, your steadfast love is better than life. It's better than the power I've had. It's better than the sex that I've had. It's better than any woman you could give me. It's better than the popularity and the fame. It's better than everybody chanting my name. Your steadfast love when I'm at the worst point in my life is better than anything they could ever give me out there. He had an encounter with that. And you say, well, I just don't know if I believe that. I, I understand you're preaching that, Clay. Can I tell you, when you have a real encounter with the steadfast love of the living God and it's poured out on you like liquid love, something changes. It's no longer just a church service. It's no longer just religion. It's, man, this is my life right here. This is everything I've ever longed for. But see, the world is not designed to fill you with the kind of hunger that you have. But we still pursue it, don't we? We still think, man, if I, can get, if I could just get enough money, if I could just get me a better house for me and my family, if I, if I just had the right car, you know what I'm saying? Maybe if I just had the right man. Somebody amen me this morning. If I could get me a woman that would do this, this, and this. 
Hallelujah. All these things in our mind, but see, Jeremiah 2 says it like this, Be appalled, O heavens. He's basically telling the entities in the heavens, look at what's going on down here, and be appalled. Because here's what's happening. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, God is an overflowing spring. That when you drink from it, it satisfies and it fulfills. And anybody in here who has ever sought God knows. Listen to me right now. There are people here under the sound of my voice. You have sought God. You have known the joy. You have known the love. You have known the fulfillment. You've known what it's like to just have a fire burning in you and you go into public places and God's got something on your heart that when you come to church you're not lukewarm and dry but tears stream down your face because you sense the presence of God. You've known it but the world has come in and crowded it out and you know sitting in this presence in this house you are lukewarm you know it I've come in here as a pastor and known it before you understand what I'm saying and this is not a word of condemnation at all because I sense God drawing us and saying you know what I love you so much I'm, I'm wanting to draw you back into my love but see we dig out for ourselves not God's a fountain but we're digging for ourselves cisterns that are broken under the bottom and he says basically that godless relationship that you're pursuing he said that you're going to get to the bottom of that you're going to find out it's broken it's leaking water and you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to be thirsty again. You're pursuing that new job. You think, man, if I just get that job, if I just get that promotion, I just get that amount of money. He said, you know what? You're going to do that. You're going to get all that money. You're going to find it's broken. It holds no water. It's not going to satisfy you. You're going to get all these things in your life. You're going to flood your life with hobbies. Dan's been joking with me. He said, man, I'm going to give my life to golf. He's told me that like a hundred times. I said, but you say that enough, you're going you to find yourself giving your life to God. <laughs> he's been joking about it, though, because he's talking about the battle we face between even our hobbies. Now, we, people in here love to hunt. Praise God for hunting. Some people say, man, hunting's my church. No, it better not be, my friend. So amen me. Hunting's a good thing. Golf's a good thing. All these hobbies you do are good things, but they are broken cisterns that can hold no water. They will not satisfy your life. You can take God into the woods with you, praise God, that's great, but the, the woods ain't your church. The church is designated by the people of God that have the fire of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. You are not disconnected from that and living as the church. You are filled with the power of God in the building and in the corporate gathering and on the outside of these walls spreading throughout the earth like a flame of fire where they say, man, I see that their passion is deeper than just this thing. You remember that last year, that guy, DeMar Hamlin, he died on the field at the beginning of last year. You remember that? And everybody was like, everything shifted in that moment. There's all kind of weird stuff happening. And a guy prayed on national television. And because we're so secular and so cut off from God in our world, we freaked out about it. You believe that guy prayed <laughs> on national television? I'm like, dude, said a prayer, man. Like, that should be common among people. That should be common. But this guy that was friends with him, Nick Wright was friends with the guy who prayed, and it was a powerful prayer. He said this, he said, It made me a little envious in that moment because I'm not a person of faith. And since then, I realized I didn't have a foundation or a higher purpose or something in the face of inexplicable tragedy, and it's left me flailing, and I've been a little envious in that moment and ever since. What, see, what people are realizing, I'm telling you, what people in the world are realizing is that secularism and self-help and me pursuing my own personal happiness is not fulfilling them. They're thirsty. 
But they're not thirsty for religious church. They're not thirsty for showing up and hearing good music and a decent sermon by a smart guy. They're not. People don't care how many points you got in your sermon. People don't care how good the music is. What they care is, did God move in that place? Did something, did something touch my soul that was different than what? You can get a concert anywhere, boys. You can get music anywhere. You can get a TED Talk on YouTube to encourage you. But can you get the presence of the living God? Is the fire of God among the people of God in this hour? And that's what people are thirsty and hungry for. But see, God moves where God is pursued. And that's where you're going to find the presence of the living God. Among the people that are so hungry that they say, God, we want you here. We need you here. You need to move in this hour. We're not, we're not content with just church. And I understand that, that is a, that's a strong call. And some people are just like, man, I just don't know if it's like that. I, where I went to church, Clay, they just gave us a sermon. We went on and we felt good with that. Can I tell you, I pray to God that that's not ever the person that I become. Pray to God it's not ever the person that I become. David found full satisfaction in a relationship with God. He said, because your steadfast love is better than life. Do you believe that his love is better than life? He found something that was better than everything else that he had tried. And you know, I think sometimes that our society is so terrified of real love that we've settled for promiscuity. We know that if we actually get in a relationship where somebody knows us and we know them, right? So that's, that's, that's why it's so difficult. And we just, our, our society, I don't, maybe it's different here in the church, you know, maybe we understand. There's something about, you know, that, that you, you understand that the sexual ethic of the church of Jesus Christ is we don't have sex until marriage because we're entering into that covenant. But do you know the hunger that creates? You get two people, to, two young people together, all hormones going crazy, half wild. They're really attracted to each other. But because of Jesus, they're saying, no, we're going to wait until we get married. You know what happens? They get hungry, y'all. Y'all can laugh if you want. It's just a reality. That is supposed to typify the longing and the hunger that we have for Christ Himself. We're longing for that union. We're craving that union. This is why we cry out, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's the bridal cry. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want you to come. We want you to show up because we're longing for that union. But see, we downplay it and we, we move it around. But see, the promise of Scripture, you know, you, you end up getting married to that woman. And maybe you. Maybe you maintain celibacy until you get married. Maybe you don't. You end up marrying that woman. But what you find out is even that woman or that man that you thought would fix everything, you get to know them, you realize, man, this person's a sinner. Amen. And not only that, they've revealed that I'm an even bigger sinner and that I've messed them up terribly even more. And, and, and then you realize, they've not satisfied me. Y'all ever realize that? Because let me tell you something, your spouse, I don't know, this is going to be a great pro tip for y'all this morning. Your spouse will never satisfy you. They won't do it. They might get better. You may, you may train them a little bit. You know, Andre's done some pretty decent training. I'm not fully broken yet. But the fact of the matter is I'll never be able to satisfy her. She'll never be able to satisfy me. Because it is a deep, deep well in our hearts that only God can ultimately satisfy. But here's the promise of Scripture. The more you know God and the more you get to know God, it's not like, hey, I get to know them and it's not as good now that I actually know them. No, the more you know God, the better it gets. The hungrier you become. You never tap into God and say, well, now that I know a little bit of Him, it's not that great. No, when you tap into God and you get just an inkling and a little bit of a vision, you say, my God, I want more. 
I want more of this because it gets better and it gets better. Psalm 63, 5. See, one thing you've got to understand is that the key to stirring up passion for the presence of God is not to do more for God. You have to learn to, de- learn to delight in God's satisfying love. He says in Psalm 63, 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. As with the richest of foods. Basically, he's saying, I don't know what y'all like to eat, but you know what I'm saying? I like to go to Malone's, get a steak, something like that. Sometimes my mother-in-law, she'll fix like steak and then buffalo shrimp you know like some stuff and i'm sitting there eating i get done I'm like boys i'm satisfied i'm on the verge of bringing some of this stuff back up like that's that's how satisfied that i am and he's saying no 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 I, i'm actually going to go, saturate myself in the love of god for me in the presence of god and i'm going to be that satisfied the food it's going to be as with the richest of foods I'm going to get satisfied with. George Mueller, a guy who lived back in the day, he, he ran an orphanage by faith, literally. Had amazing care for the poor and for orphans. And he, he made this statement. He said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. He said, my, my greatest purpose in life is to get up in the morning and get myself happy in the Lord. Like, get in the presence of God and know how loved I am. See, when we talk about prayer and fasting, it's not like, it's not like you, you know, I, well, I tried to fast and I failed, and God's like, gosh, you can't do anything. No, whether you fail or whether you succeed, God is going to show up and He's going to pour His love out on you. And when you start to tap into His presence, that's what He offers you, this steadfast love that overwhelms you and you begin to make yourself happy in the Lord. It's not a burdensome chore, but it's a place where you consume the joy of God in your heart. Amen. So much of what we're called to do is to learn to receive the love of God. 1 John 3, 1 Caitlin was talking a little bit about this this morning. He said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Now, if you read that in the Greek language, it's a Greek word that literally means what foreign love is, what country is this love from? When this love shows up, it's like, this ain't the love that we've experienced. What foreign love is this that has been brought into our lives that we should be called the children of God. I remember thinking God would be so mad at me, so upset at me that he would just punish me and cast me away from his presence for all of the times that I felt. But I prayed, I fasted, I sought the Lord. I was living under condemnation. I was bound to addictions. I could not change my situation. But when finally I cried out to God and said, God, if I can't live the way you want me to live, I don't want to live any longer. The Spirit of God was poured out on me and it was like liquid love. And in that moment, it was a love that was so powerful I saw the darkness in my heart, but the love of God bridged that gap and it consumed everything in me. And I said, this is what I'm going to live for the rest of my life. Lord, don't let me move away from this. This is why God speaks to the church of Laodicea and he says, or at Ephesus actually in Revelation, he says, you have left your first love. You've left this thing that once consumed you and you've moved away from it. But I want to normalize passion in, in this church. You know, they came, some of them come Friday night. There's like 10 people here. I wasn't here. I was, I was out of town. It turns out I heard that there was like 10 people in here on Friday night. At 1.30, they're still praying in here. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of passion that I want to normalize in this church. Every now and then I want a few people to get weird. It's like, you know what? We, we, we just decide to stay up all night and pray. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Why? Because you're hungry for God. Because you want something that's out of the ordinary. You know, there's a psychology of desire. 
And in the psychology of desire, they say, well, there's three different types of desire. I, and, and, and we say, I will. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get myself together and I'm going to do this. we got willpower. And then other, another part that says, I won't, which I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. But y'all know when you start trying to mess with willpower and you try to gird up your strength and do what you can do, you find not the strength to do what you're trying to do. But he says the real issue is you got to get to a place where it's not about I will or I won't, but I want. You have to cultivate desire. Jesus said in John 7, 37, on the, de- the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is promising that if you are thirsty for something, you can come to Jesus and drink. And out of your innermost being is going to begin to flow some joy and some love and some peace and some power and some satisfaction like you have never experienced before. And it's going to flow over into the world around you. Amen. So I want to close with this last thought. How in the world do we learn to want God? How do we learn to want God? Number one, we got to get near the flame. And I want to say this. You got to, at some point or another, you got to get around some passionate people. Like you've got to intentionally, you know, we're getting ready to launch small groups. And I know some people don't want in small groups. And you've got other things going on, this or that. But, but our goal in this church is to have people in small groups led by people that are, liter- that, that are on fire and carrying a fire for the Lord. So that when you go to this small group, as awkward as it is, it's not about the awkwardness or anything like that. You press through because you believe, if I go in this, there's going to be people with a fire. And if I can just get around the fire, there'll be a spark fall off on me. You may say, well, I don't know about people praying up into the one hour of the night. Like, that's a weird thing. I bet if you were to get in here and round some of them people, somebody might have a word for you, and a spark might jump off the fire and ignite something in your heart. Amen. you got to get near the flame and get around some people that are passionate. And so when we do these things, like when we have worship services, or we have prayer meetings, or we say we're praying and fasting, it's not to... It's not to say, Lou, you'll get a a special star if you come to this thing. Or you'll get a check on your box if you come to this thing. Or God will like you more if you come to this thing. No, no, no. We are not investing in a culture of legalism. We're looking to build a culture of hunger. It's not about legalism. We don't pray and fast because we think it earns us something from God. We don't come to a prayer meeting because we think somehow it'll get a notch on our belt or anything like that. We do these things because we're trying to cultivate hunger for a living God that moves where He is pursued. Amen. So we want to get near that flame. Number two, we got to gather some spiritual kindling and gasoline. Stories of the past of people who have paid a price to see God move. I think about like David Wilkerson. I don't know if he, when I first got saved, I read this story about David Wilkerson, who was the pastor of Times Square Church in New York City. And get this, this man was in Pennsylvania. He was pastoring a church. He, he realized he was lukewarm. And he was watching TV three, you know, two, three hours a night. And one night God says to him, he says, David, what if you were to give me your TV time? You know what he did? He took his TV, he sold it, And he starts going home in the night, and rather than watching TV for two hours, he starts spending that time in the Word of God and prayer. And all of a sudden, because out of this spending this time, cultivating this fire in his heart for the Word of God and prayer, God speaks to his heart. He says, I want you to go to New York City. 
He goes to New York City and he starts preaching the gospel among heroin addicts in, in the ghettos of New York. And all of a sudden, some of the wildest guys you've ever dreamt of begin to get saved. And out of that birthed the Teen Challenge movement, which is actually why we have Chad's Hope up here in Clay County today. Because one man said, I'm hungry, God, and I'm willing to give you my TV time. I'm so hungry, I want to see you move. Times Square Church, New York City was birthed. But there's so many stories. I could tell you story after story of revivals that were birthed. Men of God who were willing to pay a sacrifice to see God move. And they moved into this place. And I think the thing is, you've got to find some stuff that's going to put some gas on your fire. You've got to find something that's going to put gas on that fire and put some kindling on that thing. Read stories about these old revivals. Find you some books. Book by Jackie Pullinger, Chasing the Dragon. David Wilkerson's is the, the Cross and the Switchblade. I could tell you book after book of people that paid a price and it will burn in your heart when you hear what they did and the result that came out of it. And here's the last point that I want to make. You want to slow burn over a starter log. I love to build a fire, you know what I'm saying? I really do. And, you know, I like to have something that starts it quick. If you get a little gas, you know what I'm saying? <sighs> That's nice. I like something that starts my fire quick. And sometimes when I'm a little bit dull, I'm going to read something. I'm going to find something that's going to put gas on my fire. I want to get around. I'll call somebody up that I know is crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'll call somebody up that I say to them, hey, you got a word from the Lord? They'll be like, yes, I do, brother. I've been waiting on you to call. You know, I want people like that. You know what I'm saying? You heard anything from the Lord? No, not really. They got a fire. They've got a fire they've been cultivating. They've been, they've been burning. You get a start log. It starts off. You get that. But here's the thing. If you want a good fire, you've got to take time. Put kindling on it. Work it up. Then start to stack that sucker and build it. And then guess what? 15 minutes later, you've got to put a couple more logs on there. 10, 15 minutes later, you've got to put a couple. Until you've got this raging fire. And what we need is a slow burn of a raging fire that we tend to day in and day out. One guy said this, Albert Haas, he said, because this is a gradual, ongoing process, we have to resist the temptation to look for a single book, program, practice, or guru that will cause spontaneous combustion. There are none. How many times have I been tricked into thinking that by reading the most recent book by a favorite author or practicing the latest spiritual craze, I'll become a saint? Catching fire takes patience and perseverance. It's hard, fatiguing work. It also requires a daily commitment to nurturing and tending the fire once it's started. And that is what we seek to do. We want to tend this fire, and we want to continue to seek God. So when we're entering into prayer and fasting, can I tell you this? There is no condemnation. We're not here to judge you, but we're saying we want to cultivate hunger. We want to cultivate hunger for God. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. I want you to bow your heads this morning. And let's just ask God to stir up some spiritual hunger in us. Whatever that looks like. You know, I don't know where you're at with God this morning. And if, if, if your spiritual hunger begins with the fact that you're not hungry at all because you've not, you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, you've not recognized Him as, as the Lord of your life, 
today is the day to do that. Today is the day to say, Lord Jesus, I repent. I come to you. I believe you died for me on the cross, and I believe, God, that, that you came to set me free from my sin. I believe you were raised again on the third day. I believe that, God, but I need you. I need you to save me. Today is the day to surrender and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, save me. I want to begin a walk with you, and I want you to put a fire in my heart. I want you to save my soul and secure eternal life for me. That's what you need to do this morning. But if you're a Christian and, and you've been saved and you know Jesus, now is the time to say, God, I need to get near that flame once again. I need a passion in my heart. I need to stir this on the inside of me. And Lord, I don't, I don't sense you condemning me, but I sense you lovingly calling me into something deeper. And Lord God, would you help me? Would you help me to, to push back the weeds and the busyness and the desires for other things that's choking out the work that you want to do in my life? God, even if it's just starting small, would you help me to put that next log on the flame and on the fire? Lord, to get something burning once again, God, help me to pray once again. Help me to stir up that passion that I once had for you, Lord God. And help me to seek your face, Lord God, and be Begin to move in our midst. Begin to move in our midst, God. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. As we worship right now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to move over each person, Lord God, and stir something in their hearts. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want you to stand to your feet. They're going to they're gonna worship. And I want, you, I want you to take a moment just to respond to the Lord like we say every single week. You got a word for somebody? Take it to them. You need to repent. Come to this altar. You need to repent. Kneel at your seat. You need to seek God. Come to this altar. How many of you, you actually want the fire of God in your heart? I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith to say, God, I need a fire in my heart. God, I need you to do something in my heart afresh. Maybe you just sit back there at the back. You just lift your hand and say, Lord, I need you to do something afresh in my heart. Just respond to the Lord. It's not a time to look around. It's a time to pray to the Lord and say, God, we need you. We're desperate for you. We need you to stir passion. We need you to stir passion in our hearts. Just respond to the Lord where you're at.